0: Hi everyone, I'm Tara. Hi, I'm Michelle. Welcome back to Books and Beyond with Bound, where we speak to some of the finest writers in India and find out what makes them tick.
1: Yeah, and on this episode, we spoke to Anubha Yadav, who dons so many hats. She's a journalist, a filmmaker, an educator, and the author of The Anger of Saintly Men. So this is a book that
0: just broke out of nowhere, And became mainstream and people can't stop talking about it because it looks at men and the way that they are affected by patriarchy and this is a topic that I think needs more attention and Anubha has done it really really well.
1: Yeah definitely and being women we are naturally drawn to stories about women right and it was really refreshing for us to read this intense tale of three brothers who grew up in a very small town in Haryana they go through some of the most difficult experiences as children
0: just to let you know uh, the book covers some difficult topics like suicide homophobia so we do we do discuss these on the episode so do an exercise caution
1: you know, Tara, I actually loved the way Anubha has used the figure of Mahatma Gandhi in the book to show us what kind of effect his legendary life has on young men. I mean, there's this obsession with Mahatma Gandhi, right, in our country and in the West. I wanted to know what inspired her as a writer.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so much written on Gandhi and, you know, he's problematic, but he's a father figure, he's an idol. Um, and there's so much complication around this topic and she really does unpack that uh, and that was very interesting and I also really love the structure of the book it's experimental so each of the chapters read like short stories but then they come together like a novel um, and I just love that it's been published by an indie publisher like B-Books and it's totally gone mainstream obviously because of the topic and the way that it covers you know all of these issues um, and I I know that if you guys read it
1: you will get attached to these characters And we actually find out how Anubha managed to retrieve the darkest secrets of men. So let's tune in. Hi, Anubha. Welcome to our podcast. We are so happy to speak to you.
2: Hi. Hi, Michelle and Tara. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, this episode is so refreshing because it covers men and the way they are affected by patriarchy. I mean, usually me and Tara read a lot of stories about women and how, uh, you know, patriarchy affects them. I think we are genuinely curious about the opposite sex. And we want to know the way their upbringing has affected their worldview. And you have done that brilliantly in your book, Anuba. What I loved
0: about the book was that it follows these three brothers, Sonu, Anu and Vicky, from the time they are boys into their adulthood, and they're so different. And You know, the portrayal of these men's lives, the traumas, the effects uh, of their childhood on their adult life, they're so poignant. And I could never imagine, you know, writing such a story. I wouldn't even know where to begin, how to get into the heads of these kinds of men. And you did that being a woman. So how did the idea of looking into men's lives so closely come to you? And why did you set the story
2: in Haryana? This book actually came out of my helplessness um when you know uh, four to five years back and around when i was writing it me too was there before that we have had uh, uh, constant and consistent uh, violence gender violence and every time there would be a uh, furore and there would be news articles and there would be discourse which is almost all the time I would uh, I would wonder as to where is this such ingrained, deep hatred for women coming from? And uh, I was honestly, I was, I was hapless. So it came out of my helplessness because I wanted to understand uh, what is happening here and uh, why are, uh, what are the processes of uh, creating these men? what is happening in families, in the intimate life of these boys. And, um, yeah, so, and as to your second part of your question, it was difficult, Tara, you know, it was, I mean, first I have grown up in a family with a lot of very strong women. And uh, I actually, uh, yeah, I have not really had a family with a lot of, men or boys around me so um, I also constantly wondered if I will be able to write something which is trying to understand the experience of uh, boys and men and there was a lot of self-doubt before starting there were a lot of uh, discussions with friends and writers and a lot of uh, research reading on masculinity South Asian masculinity um so yeah it took some work and uh, after a while when you sit in that space and you constantly start thinking about it I think you somewhere reach a point where uh you start uh, seeing your characters as people yeah they they you, you wh- whatever kind of people they are you develop a certain empathy for them and I think that is uh that is where I reached Um, and uh, that's when I started writing. So Haryana was not, um, so to say, a choice. It's just something that uh, evolved out of, uh, as I was writing it. And I don't, uh, I mean, it's also interesting to see how Gurgaon was changing at that time. This is early 90s. So we are talking, you know, globalization is starting. India has opened its economy. Liberalization is happening. Gurgaon, which was like, a industrial town come village come industrial setup you know Maruti Udyog is there and all these uh, things are happening there change is happening suddenly starts becoming this um, uh, high-tech city huh? and uh, so a certain kind of cosmopolitanism is coming because companies are coming MNCs are coming And uh, I wanted to see how this external change, uh, where we live, is. Does it? What? What are its moments of interaction with a family? Yeah. And so, therefore, I think finally, the story naturally set itself in that space. Wow. Yeah. I think that definitely comes
1: from a place of curiosity and wanting to know what it's like um, to be. um, You know, to grow up in such an atmosphere. So we were curious, you know, out of all these three brothers, which brother's story was the most challenging for you to write and why? I personally, you know, got attached to Sonu because he goes through so much as a child. And maybe because his story was the first. So I felt that I already knew him by the time I reached uh, the other brother's stories. I felt quite protective of him, actually. Mm,
2: interesting. Yes. Um, so they all were interesting and difficult in their own ways, I would say. And I'm not trying to be diplomatic, honestly. Sometimes the voice won't work for one brother. Sometimes um, the story would just not set in. Yeah, so there were difficult. And Sonu, of course, Sonu has the unique position of being the eldest, the Rama, yeah, of the Indian family. So you have to do tyag, sacrifice. Indian families keep some very unique. uh, you know, they treat the eldest boy, especially in this very unique way, you know. You are very early in your life. You are trained to become the patriarch and you are you are trained to be more responsible, more mature because, uh, God forbid, you might just have to take over the reins. And it's interesting why the mother would not take over the reins, you know, why the eldest son is treated in a way which also uh, says a lot about um, indian families but uh, with all with with all my i mean i have observed this in various parts of india as to how the eldest boy is uh, you know even if they are just 10 or 12 they are they are specifically trained for the role of being the patriarch in case something happens to the father so sonu was uh, Therefore, um, very unique. And I really wanted to talk about and discourse about this idea of the eldest being uh, put in this unique uh, position, which is almost epic now. If you see the eldest son has to make the sacrifice and has to take the responsibility of the whole family. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really is a reflection of Indian society. And I think all of us growing up in India, you know, have seen it in our own families, in, you know, our friends' families. And for me, it was a very interesting perspective to understand the dynamics between this family and the brothers, because I come from a family of girls. So, you know, we have two sisters and I have a brother who's eight years younger than me. And then we have, you know, six first cousins who are all girls and we're like siblings. So it's very interesting to gain an inside look into a, you know, boys' family. But what I also want to ask is that I also love the way that you structured this book. uh, Because each brother's story is interspersed with the other. um, And they traverse different stages in their lives in no particular order. So I found that structure very different and experimental. So could you tell us a little bit about how you
2: structured it? I knew right from the start that it has to be uh, these three brothers. Uh, Because when I started, I had uh, structured and the stories were already there. And uh, I chose to divide it like this and I knew what the stories were. But I really didn't know if it'll work, if it'll hold together. And for the longest time, I kept wondering um, if it is actually holding together. And actually, uh, the last story was sent by me after acceptance of the manuscript by the publisher because I was quite sure the structure will hold better if there is a so-called cyclical structure yeah it was quite organic the whole process it was not conscious and uh, apart from the beginning yeah the structure kind of found me instead of I running out uh, after it
1: yeah thank you so much for sharing that actually you know while reading your book I remember Jane Borges's uh uh, you can say novel, uh, which is Bombay Balchao, but it also reads like a set of short story collections. I really liked that experimental bit. And and I was curious, how did you pitch it to B-Books? So B-Books is an independent publisher, but your book has gone mainstream. So I really wanted to know what that pitch was like.
2: Uh, so it was a friend told me that uh, I should pitch the book to B-Books and that friend is in publishing. And uh I wrote a mail to them like we all do. And uh, and I got, uh, after a week, I think, or uh, 10 days, I got a call from uh, the publisher and they said that uh, they're taking it. And uh, of course, I was quite excited because as you said, it is a book that is kind of experimental. It's trying off. It's not only uh, experimenting with the uh, uh, the genre of novel uh, of uh, but it's also experimenting in language it's also experimenting with form in certain parts of the book so I was uh, I was uh, I was really really wanting it to find a place now uh, because it had been rejected by a few places more than a few places so yeah it was awesome and then from there we got into a contract And uh, we, Isha came to Delhi, she was coming to Delhi for something. So we had a meeting, formal meeting, and everything was formalized. And uh, yeah, then the rest is history.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I really like the fact that, um, you know, this book, I mean, it's got, it's really has gone mainstream from an independent publisher. And it gives us so much joy to see that because that's not something that happens uh, very often. Um, and this book is totally dis- totally deserving of that. So congratulations on that, Anubha. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we mentioned that it's a story about these three boys and the different things that they exposed to. You know, the stories cover class, caste, homophobia, uh, and many things, many more things. Um, and you actually managed to bring out the nuances within each theme. But, you know, you spoke a little bit about research earlier, but I'm curious to know, you know, uh, which of these topics was the most difficult to research and portray?
2: I think uh, what was most difficult was to get the nuances in, but at the same time remain a storyteller. So what happens is sometimes you are so fixated on getting a politically aware book that uh, you forget that you are still a storyteller, and you are as much as your politics is important. Your story should be interesting. Yeah. So of course you have to be aware of your theoretical uh, frameworks. You have to read, and you have to uh, engage as a writer with the the life that you are around. Yeah, and uh, the politics and the of around you. But at the same time, I am quite wary of um, uh, fiction that, uh, I mean, maybe can give me the right politics, but doesn't engage me in the story. So, getting that balance right was the challenge. And uh, not, I mean, not carrying your politics in a way that it becomes so overt that nobody is really engaging with the narrative. That, of course, I really didn't want. So I didn't want a didactic book, which is uh, on masculinity. Yeah, though I wanted, I read, I mean, my story. And there is, you know, Toni Morrison has spoken about this. She says that there is a point at which you should stop reading and start writing. Because as a writer, you know that point. And uh, I I think I, I I really agree with her. And I know what she means when she says that. Because if you just keep reading uh, constantly, you know, although it's important, but I think there is a point at which then you, the, the rigor of it has to engage with the storytelling. And there is a point at which you should stop. So for me, the challenge was to keep the balance. I was not writing an academic book. Yeah, I was writing a book which was largely within a world of fiction. See, difficult is a word which is also very subjective. So was it difficult because to, for you because you're a storyteller? and Or was it difficult because uh, it is just difficult to talk about those things? Yeah, so in India, um, uh, talking caste in a story comes... I mean, I don't want to overtly talk caste as a storyteller, but I want to mark caste in my stories. Yeah, so uh, how do I do that? And so the first thing which obviously... is you know you how do you mark your character's last name so I after much thought I gave them the last name Singh yeah because I wanted to keep uh, the possibilities open yeah they are in Haryana they are Singh they could be a variety of castes and uh, that was a very conscious choice the second thing which was challenging was sexuality so I would say caste and sexuality these were the two areas where i was i was very very careful i don't know if it was difficult but i was surely careful that i want to market it and at the same time i want to market in a way that uh, it's not um, a word but it still is interesting storytelling but it is there it is there out there out there for the for the audience i mean for the readers
1: Right. Um, And and talking about sexuality, um, Anubha, the most striking element of the book for me was its darkness, right? There's a, uh, in fact, there's a very powerful scene of bestiality in the book. Um, And, you know, those brown pupils like have haunted me way after I shut the book. Um, It it was really difficult to read, actually. So I was wondering what it must have been like for you to write about it. And and how did you go about finding these dark secrets of men?
2: (laughs) yeah i mean it is a dark book i don't think i can tell you how i know all of this because but i do uh, most of what every writer writes as you already know is uh through imbibing yeah from the immediate environment when i'm writing i'm in the zone so to say and uh, in that moment um The experience of it is very intense anyway for me, uh, Michelle, when I'm writing. And uh, so I I can't say that this was uh, specifically very, very intense or moving. But I was aware that uh, this has to be written. And despite the fact that there was fear that um, people... The readers might uh, get offended, and uh, it's. Uh, I was aware that it can be very disturbing. Well,
0: no, that's very. Uh, that's interesting to know because we all wear different caps, and you know, of course, we respect. You know where you get your source material from, um, and that was actually really, really a very insightful answer into your process. I also love asking this question about. <laughs> writer's process you know because you wrote the book for over four and a half years and that's an amazing thing and the effort really shows but I also really want to know you know what was your writing routine like
2: I write every day I write like you would a clerk goes to office and does a nine to five so I sit every day at 6 30 in the morning and I write for my I put my hours in yeah and, uh, it would be, it is very rare that I miss it. I mean, I have to be sick or some family emergency has to happen. Uh, and, uh, then of course I miss those days. And, uh, now it is, now it is just very, comes very naturally to me just to get up and it's very, uh, pleasant to be, and it's such a gift to get up in the morning and to write. So my routine is kind of set,
1: <laughs> right? Um, it's really cool that uh, you begin uh, with writing and reading. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's the best start to a day anyone can have. You know, Anubha, I felt that Hindi was a very big part of the book. Um, I love Hindi. Um, I'm really fascinated with that language. So I wanted to know, do you envision a translation of that? Because I wanted to know who's your ideal audience for the book and, and how do you think books can, you know, penetrate an audience that doesn't read?
2: I was also writing, uh, so there are certain, very interesting, because this question is being asked um, again and again. And uh, I, think, uh, I think it's an important question because I made a distinct choice by keeping the Hindi and uh, not only choosing not to provide a glossary, also at most points, uh, not choosing, uh, choosing not to give any translations a hindi is being used to create a milieu yeah like you would have guessed already and i think uh, language also brings an import of a certain kind of atmosphere and uh, it was really it was really about that so as i was doing this uh, you know peppering the story with hindi uh it started happening very organically and um, when i would reread it i wouldn't feel a need to translate it or remove it because it was contributing to the texture that was coming about and then i read drown by juno diaz and i realized uh, i kind of felt very legitimized after reading drown because he does something similar by using spanish yeah and you know he's a dominican american writer and uh, he's uh, I mean, he uses a lot of lingo and he uses a lot of Spanish lingo. He uses a lot of what um, uh, Dominican Americans would use while they are living in America as immigrants and uh, a very peculiar kind of form of language comes out. So I kind of just uh, took it forward, a bit more forward. And uh, I chose to keep the Hindi and I wanted to see what, effect aff effect it would have on my reader what kind of atmosphere uh it would create for my reader and um uh, and uh so as to even if that if, even if that atmosphere is a certain kind of discomfort so then my reader uh it is interesting uh because that i mean my, fiction always is not supposed to make you comfortable yeah It can disturb you. It should disturb you. It can make you uncomfortable. So actually, I went to a reading years back, and by then I only had the first story in the final draft. And I read the beginning of the story, which uses uh, Hindi. And uh, there was an Australian woman in the audience, and uh, I asked her, "And uh, that did you did you understand? Uh, I mean, there is Hindi in here." And she said, "Yes, I think I got what you mean, even if I didn't get." the words so uh and i we both laughed and we smiled and uh, of course it's up for debate if it um, and it's a choice so largely yeah perhaps uh, therefore i decided to uh, write it like that
1: that's really cool uh, to know that anubha we uh, are quite unapologetic about it because i myself i add a lot of konkani in my work and i never provide a translation
0: and I love some of the chapter names, you know, so you said, we too are too. And that's a literal translation of hum do, Hamare do. I also wanted to know because we've been having a lot of conversations, um, you know, with people about, you know, patriarchy, gender stereotypes. Um, and this is a conversation that's very apparent in today's world. So would you be able to share some book recommendations that might help us revisit gender stereotypes? especially in an Indian context?
2: A very interesting book is a book uh, called A Little Book on Men by Rahul Roy. So uh, that's, and it's actually a little book. So it can be read very quickly. Um, Another work which is interesting is Reframing Masculinities. I think it's edited by uh, Radhika Chopra. And of course, there is Moral Materialism by um, Joseph S. Alter, and uh, which talks about sex and masculinity in modern India. There is the work of Sanjay Srivastava, who has written some really very interesting academic papers and books on masculinity in the context of gender, larger gender studies.
1: Wow, I think I'm definitely going to check out those books because it's not often that we speak about um, stereotypes. And I think that makes you look at, at the world um, differently. Uh, what we also noticed is you've dedicated your book uh, to your mother. And you said this is for those lost stories. So we were curious, could you narrate a story to us that she shared with you?
2: So my mother was uh, or, or is perhaps, I don't know if you don't write, you are you still a writer? I guess you are. Uh, so she used to write years back before uh, we were born. And then she had a full time job and she had uh, four children. So she I guess uh, it took a backseat. So when I was um, studying and I was studying in a film school, uh, I my first short film was actually on her story. And it was a story about a couple with um, who are really, really poor, and they have a pet, yeah. And Eve is coming, and the choice is, and the pet is a pet uh, um, chicken, yeah. Uh, pardon me, what is a chicken called? What is the male version of a chicken called? Rooster. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So the couple that 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 was kind of a pet, yeah. And the choice was. To celebrate Eid, do you cook that pet or do you let it be? And uh, it's like a model dilemma before the couple. And uh, and that was the story. And it, was, it won a prize. And it was at that time, there was a Hindi publication that uh, carried it. Yeah, so a magazine. So she had a copy of that. And uh, yeah, it was apparently written while sitting in the park while we were playing. Uh, We were little and she just jotted it down because she had seen a small advertisement that there was like a prize money if you if you if you submit and she won the first prize. And um, yeah, so that was the story on which I made my first film. And uh, I think post that um, she wrote a few poems and more than that. Yeah, I don't think she's written. Thanks so much for
0: sharing that. I think one of the first things I do before starting a book is look at the dedication and look at you know the acknowledgements because I love just you know understanding the bigger picture, um, and that really gave me a good insight into your process. Uh, so okay, so the next question, you know, obviously we've spoken about that how you know the book the book can be quite dark, um, and Michelle and I was speaking about you know. Um, dark books and why we're drawn to them but we also came up with this question that you know maybe you could help us answer uh, do you think books with disturbing content should come with trigger warnings what is your opinion on that
1: the book uh, that we were reminded of was a little life by Hanya Yanagihara because it also covers the lives of men but it has a lot of disturbing scenes
2: I do think that in today's times where almost everyone reads a book after Googling a book, yeah, and uh, kind of um, the recommendations which you get from social media also kind of uh, give you a summary of the tone. So I, I would rather leave the choice uh, to the reader because even if you have bought the book, if you're finding it disturbing, you can leave it at any point i think a trigger warning would be taking it too far i i yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't i i don't think books should have trigger go trigger warnings. it's like um asking for trigger warnings for documentaries i mean documentaries are a certain kind of programming and they do engage with the world in a certain way and uh, i am not dismissing that people do get triggered but at the same time um I think in today's time when you can almost know everything about a text before actually getting to it, I I don't think you specifically need to board out people and uh, warn people in a blanket way. Right. Um, yeah. And I also think dark and disturbing is very
1: subjective, right? Maybe some, what, what would be dark and disturbing for some readers might not be the same for the others. So I think that answer was um, really insightful. Um, So coming back to your book, actually, all the chapters in it stood out or all the stories in it stood out. But I will never forget the chapter that revolves around the ideal associated with Mahatma Gandhi and and how that affects young boys. Could you maybe narrate that for us? Maybe,
2: I mean, you know, maybe summarize it. Uh, (laughs) I have no clue now how that story came, to be honest with you. I knew that uh, when I'm talking about a book on masculinity, and uh, I have to engage with Gandhi because Gandhi is really interesting uh, because of the uh, kind of gentle masculinity that he, and still such a strong figure that you know that he could lead a nation with his strengths to freedom to independence i mean that's raw iron for you but at the same time he's a nurturer at the same time he's maternal at the same time he is such a writer at the same time he is uh uh he is uh, he is a mix of um, uh uh all those qualities which you would rather otherwise see as maybe uh maternal qualities you know so to say or um if you are doing a binary of gender you know you would see them in women but Gandhi had all of them yeah but at the same time uh so I found that really really interesting and then the strength of Gandhi and then the idea of sacrifice that he brought to the political discourse yeah Uh, which again you know fasting is what women do yeah fasting and asking for something a very passive aggressive thing is what women do in households yeah when a woman stops eating in order to revolt against the decision of the patriarch it's it's often seen in families yeah that I'll not eat because I don't agree because I don't have any other power but self-harm yeah that's what women do in families, yeah. But at the same time, we saw father of the nation, quote-unquote, do that. Yeah, I think I was listening to uh, someone who was talking about uh, about uh, body issues in men. Think about this young boys and their uh, body issues, yeah. Uh, came together and sat, decided to sit with Gandhi. And I was very amused how it happened. Yeah, and what it became finally. But as I told you, this is a—it's a very organic process, uh, which happens uh, when I'm in a zone. And uh, over time, then the story became what it became, and its politics became what it became. But yes, to answer your question, I think um, it's very interesting to discourse Gandhi when we are talking about masculinity, also because. Uh, uh, I mean, Gandhi is um, a very important part of our not only our political discourse, our social discourse, but also our family life. Yeah. Uh, So I think he's, he's, he, he, you, you can see pictures of Gandhi sometimes in drawing rooms on pencil boxes. Gandhi is there in schools. So, but somehow I don't know how we do not uh, imbibe Gandhi when we, uh, when we raise our boys because Gandhi is also a nurturer um, and he would, he would feel no embarrassment in uh, um, feeding a goat yeah, or uh, all those chores. I mean, I'm aware about the cruelty of Gandhi in his personal life and uh, how complicated that is but then who is simple
1: wow love knowing that I mean yeah some things do uh, just fall into place and some things are quite intended and I think this was a mix of the both which was a really good marriage I'll say um so there is a line in your book Anubha that made me laugh out loud at its absurdity it goes like this a man from IIT IIM was saleable in the marriage market even after a divorce, despite being past the marriageable age. I, I was curious, you know, does this apply to women too? And, and how did you really find this out? What was your inspiration like?
2: To share a secret with you, actually, years back, I knew someone from IIT IIM and we were sitting in a restaurant. This is about a decade back. And he, this statement came from him exactly the two. And it just stayed with me. And there was a moment in the book where I was writing it. And I was like, oh my God, this happened so many years back. And um, yeah, so this is how it happened. And uh, uh, I think there is, uh, I have met, uh, I mean, I, I teach. So I also meet a lot of people who are in academic spaces. And uh, I think uh, when I meet uh, who, uh, men, who are about to pass out, or passing out, or have passed out from these um, places? Yeah, I mean, IIT im is just one example, but there are many others. Uh, there is a constant uh, burden, which you obviously know, and there is other discourse on it that they carry. Yeah, and they are constantly anxious about uh, how they will be, uh, how they are, and uh, they have to, they have to perform their label and of course uh, it's like uh, it's like you are haloed in the family now you are IIT IM so you can't do anything wrong yeah you have to you have to live up to that uh, past constantly and I really wanted to engage with uh, that halo uh, which you build around this these labels in a family so a similar label, a similar kind of thing is built for women also in different ways.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting to watch Annu, who, um, you know, goes to IIT, IIM sort of, you know, uh, go against that halo in, in a bit. But I will leave that to, you know, I won't, I won't give more spoilers because I want the readers to also find out for themselves. One of the things that I love to find out about writers is, you know, especially if they're from interdisciplinary backgrounds, how that affects their writing. So you've written another book called Scripting Bollywood, which is an anthology of interviews. And you're also a filmmaker. So could you tell us more about this aspect of your life and
2: how it affects your fiction? Ah, That's a very interesting question. Thanks for it. So um, I think... uh... In a way, all writers are interdisciplinary because it's really, really difficult to live off writing only. Yeah. And uh, writing in itself is an interdisciplinary act. Because if today I start writing a novel about climate change, I will have to do a very good level of research, which is not my area. So having said that, I mean, I do understand what you're trying to ask. And I think uh, where it helps me is that I have a very, I would, I want to believe I have a very heightened visual sense. Yeah. So I think uh, in a way, sometimes uh, that helps when I'm writing. And uh, I think what becomes a problem is that you constantly and consistently want to do various uh, You want to engage with various mediums which are different from each other. I I am always struggling if my next project will be a novel. Will it be a film? Will it be a web series? Will it be a podcast? And thus, I have resolved the conflict for myself by telling myself that then at the end of the day, all of them are stories. So you are, you are, you are still telling stories. Until you are telling stories, it doesn't matter where and how you tell the stories. But of course, it matters because uh, every medium has its very heightened needs. Yeah. So in a novel, you have to engage with language in a certain way. Yeah, and it's it's important. Um, so I just started um, something. I. I, the question of again, the question of language is becoming very important in that project. It's a novel, and uh, simultaneously, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. And in a podcast, language works in a very different way, as you would know. It's a fiction podcast. I. It's almost like you're constantly, you con your various kinds of uh, writers con in that. Constantly, depending on the moment, and uh, each of it desires a different uh, kind of writing and a different strength. Yeah, because as you know, podcast writing uh, is very precise, has to be very visual in a very different way from cinema and novels. So, yeah, yeah, so I am trying to balance all of them so that um, I can still tell stories, and I do believe every story. Uh, is best told in a certain medium it can be told in another medium but uh, perhaps it's best told in a certain medium I'm dividing my ideas accordingly so there is a story right now which is best suited for a novel which I've just started but at the same time there is one idea which I would want to explore through a podcast
1: Wow. And I think we we can totally relate because, you know, we are editors, we are writers, and we know that we can't use a script, which is, you know, for a podcast or for a YouTube video or for a book. And And what we love about that is that, you know, there are different formats in which you can express yourself. So that's great. So my last question is, what advice would you like to give writers who are looking to write about another gender or sex that they don't identify with? And how do they view um, gender or sex in an environment where um, it has become quite
2: fluid? Uh, my advice would be to first of all uh, do your research and uh, reach a place where you have uh, at least you you know the material that's around you and what are the debates uh, that are there and then just keep it to the side. Yeah, make your notes, keep it to the side, and then start engaging with your characters in a space where you only see them as characters you start engaging with them uh, wholesomely not as a gender not as a caste not as a class but just as characters as people and uh, and that is the moment in which you should start uh, writing them yeah and have a lot of I mean, I think even for your worst worst character, you should have a lot of empathy. I believe that. So yeah, go to your characters with empathy and trust. And uh, that's what I do. I don't know if it'll work for uh, other writers, but um, I trust my characters. And I I go on this journey of writing with them with a lot of empathy for them, whatever they are doing. Yeah and uh, and i think what you might get is a more textured wholesome person yeah who's just not a gender who's not a gender cardboard and about gender fluidity i do i uh, i do hope that uh, none of us end up writing only binary characters in today's times yeah because uh, if you start seeing them as uh, as people who are not just frameworks, yeah, I think uh, we will automatically, naturally, organically move towards uh, uh, writing them in various ways, gender-fluid ways, so to say.
0: Yeah, that's actually something that we were going to ask you about. So happy that you answered that. And yeah, I mean, I like what you said about empathy because that's one of the things uh, you know that comes up in a lot of writing exercises, right? From the point of view of a character you don't like. And that immediately creates so much empathy that you never even knew you had. Uh, So that was very interesting. So now we're moving on to the next section of our episode, which is our rapid fire round. Uh, So I will begin. Um, Hindi or English?
1: English. Small town or big cities? Small town.
2: Lecturer or filmmaker? Filmmaker. Short stories or novels? Chart stories. What's next? It's uh, a novel and uh, it is largely, um, yeah, it's tracing. I can't say a lot right now, but it's tracing generations of two women. And uh, I'm also planning uh, to do a podcast, uh, a, a fiction podcast. So these are the two projects that are lined up right now.
1: Okay, good, great. All right. So that brings us to the end of the episode, Anubha. I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot of things. It was super insightful. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so you. much, Anubha. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Sara. Thank you so much. Those were wonderful questions. It was lovely chatting with you.
1: I love that conversation, Tara. I really wanted to know how she managed to capture the darkness of these men. And I think as a woman, it gives me more confidence to explore the psyches of male characters.
0: Yeah, and you know, the thing that she said about trigger warnings and should books have that, that really sparked this whole conversation uh, with us, right, Michelle? And so we are going to yeah. actually use that as a <laughs> yes. book for our episode next week, where we're going to speak about whether stories have a social and moral obligation and we're going to be focusing on untold stories.
1: Yeah, and that's actually our final episode. I look forward to these episodes where it's just both of us who, you know, talk. So we'll be actually wrapping up the whole season and just seeing how these, you know, how we managed to cover so many untold stories actually in season three.
0: And we're going to be speaking about some of the most controversial books in history like Lolita and A Clockwork Orange. And we're going to be discussing cancel culture, does art have a moral obligation, art versus artist, and all of these questions that these books show up in the next episode. So do join in. It's not going to be cliched because we're coming up with something very different in the conversation. And if you guys have any books that you guys would like us to discuss, or you think that a book is underrated and it's not given its due, and you need us to amplify it, Please do reach out and we will amplify it on our social media platforms. Looking forward to seeing you on our very last episode next week. Yep, until next time.